Welcome to Lose Yourself with Dr. Mike Cunningham, Bible teacher and church planter in Vineyard, Utah. When we lose ourselves in worldly distractions, we lose our value, purpose, and our passion in exchange for temporal experiences. But Jesus says that whoever would lose their life for His sake will find it. Let's learn what it means to lose yourself with Dr. Mike. Welcome back to Lose Yourself. We now rejoin our conversation with apologist and professor, Dr. Bill Roach. You were talking about how the Bible doesn't get used in church, which is a kind of a sad statement. Is that because we don't feel like it's sufficient enough? It seems like a lot of our churches get distracted with numbers or with programs or with just the being able to grow numerically or have a higher profile. And we want to just focus on these particular books of the Bible, but maybe not talk about those other books. Do you find that that is sometimes the case? Oh, I think that's the case. You know, we live in probably the most pragmatic age of the church. If I'm not getting big numbers, well, then God's not blessing. If I'm not having the the wowed crowd, then God's not blessing. And I think what we're finding here is, is that historically within the church, there was a debate that went on within Protestant circles between what was known as the regulative principle of faith and the normative principle of faith. And it boils down to what should we do in a worship service? And the normative principle of faith, which was primarily affirmed by Lutherans, would say, you are free to do whatever the Bible doesn't forbid. So if the Bible forbids something, don't do it. But if the Bible doesn't say anything about it, well, then you can do whatever you want with it. Whereas your more Reformed-leaning aspects of Protestantism said, no, the regulative principle says that we should only do that which the Bible commands explicitly. And just to lay my cards on in this, I think that the trajectory that we found on the regulative principle of faith is what needs to be recovered because people are always looking for something more, something new. But God has told us we need the reading of the word. We need the calls to worship. We need the confessions of faith. We need to sing songs, psalms, and spiritual songs. We need to have the preached word. Those things are sufficient in and of themselves. Whereas when you look at the effects of the normative principle, which is really what most pragmatic evangelicals do today, hey, as long as it's not against the Bible, I can do it. Smoke machines, you can have, you know, giving out goldfish out of the baptismal that week just because that's going to draw more kids in. You know, I don't find anywhere in the text of scripture that says you can't have it. But historically, we've seen how that is. is we use this phrase, the, the smells and bells, and we think of high church aspects. But now, where does the Bible say to do these things? And that's why when you look at these confessions, and it talks about things like the Lord's Supper, this is an illustration of this. Your historic Protestant confessions talk about when you actually take the bread of the Lord's Supper to not lift it up, the, the elevating of the host. Well, why do they say that? One, it's because the Bible nowhere says to do that. But two, it's because when the host is elevated, that was always an idea of its exaltation in the Catholic mass in that regard. But you have groups that do this all the time. They walk around. They have no clue why they're doing this. Why? It's because, one, ignorance of historical theology, but two, a, a commitment to the normative principle. So what I think that needs to be done within churches is in order to kill pragmatism, you got to get back to we're not only going to do what's within the confines of Scripture, but we're going to do explicitly what Scripture tells us to do for worship. And here's why. God not only reveals himself to us, 
but God tells us how he wants to be worshipped. That's the whole point of the Old Testament law. That's the whole point of, I only want to be worshipped through my son. And it's, when you look at the Old Testament, it's not just the idea of worship. Why do we have all these intricate details in the Old Testament? Because God's very particular on what he accepts and on what he doesn't accept. So that's a long answer to say, pragmatism is the death of the church and the way to recover it is to return back to the regulative principle of faith. It's funny how you were mentioning how one view says, if it's not expressly forbidden, it's kind of okay. And then this is how this one has more prescriptive on what is done. When the things that you're doing that are not necessarily forbidden displace the things that are commanded and called for, there's your point right there, friend, that like don't be displacing aspects of the worship service that God has called us and commanded us to do in favor for things that maybe we can get away with because they were not expressly forbidden. Exactly. And that's one of the things that you were talking about is what about these people that say, well, we don't need certain sections of the Bible. The reality is, is that we don't need to be Christians who are known for unhitching our Old Testament. We need to be known as people who are whole Bible Christians. Because to say that Jesus Christ is a descendant of David makes no sense if you've unhitched your Bible from the Old Testament. Or, oh, people have such moral objections to the Old Testament. Well, I'm sorry, God didn't just reveal the New Testament to you. He gave you a whole book, and he's called you to live in the parameters of that entire book. And in particular, you know, the Bible is a book that has one coherent story. And if I cut out half that story, it's now an incoherent message. Jesus Christ can't be the fulfillment of all these things in the Old Testament unless the Old Testament is giving him something to fulfill. So the pragmatism of our age of do anything at all possible to get as many people through the doors and not offend them is going to be the death knell of evangelicalism. And in the seeker-sensitive movement that's represented by so many people today, it has been the death knell. And if anything, we've seen through the advent of COVID and strifes in society, the churches like that have not lasted. When the proverbial kettle got hot, and the water started boiling, those individuals jumped out. They were done. They didn't They didn't show their true colors. I came of age in, in ministry. I cut my teeth during the absolute zenith of the church growth, seeker-sensitive movement. And so um, I can honestly say I've got the scars to show for it, that the, the heart is so wonderful, but the practice is so poor. Uh, well, you need to retain the same desire, zeal to reach the lost, that evangelistic impulse and that compassion. And that those, those are not bad things. There's nowhere in scripture that says that we got to water down scripture and water down our practice to accommodate and to scale down what God has commanded. And I feel like when we've done that, we have pretty much guaranteed those people would one day leave because once you have become so accommodating that they get their way all the time and not, there's never any uh, difference of opinion. There's never any uh, issue there. What happens is the very first time something goes wrong, they're gone. And what happens is we're not called to be placated or to be coddled. We're called to be disciples, you know, take up your cross and follow Christ. I mean, that's not exactly a um, <laughs> something that people want to put on their banner per se, but it is something that we're called to. And I think that that's the point is the more 
that we're called to, the more rewarding our faith is. The deeper we go and the more faithful that God presents himself to us. Because what happens is, you're right, God doesn't want you as you are. God has got so much for you and he's going to grow you. And you're going to be, by going through this, you're not going to be the same person you were Uh, that you are now 20 years from now, if you were growing in faith, I hope you're not the same person because when you're able to go into that discipleship process and grow in maturity and faith, God is going to transform you and make you more capable of doing things that you didn't think you could ever do. I agree. I agree. And I think so much of it is we've just lost our heritage within the church. And, you know, I heard Ian Murray put it in this respect. Ian Murray is a very well-known biographer And some of the books he's written have been so phenomenal. And he wrote this book titled Evangelicalism Divided. Mm. And he's really just talking about the outworkings of this total pragmatism within the church. And one of the things that he said to counter it, and in particular, he, he was speaking to younger men in particular, as he just said, while you're young, read the key books that shaped the history of the Western church read these key theologians and drink from the the refreshing deep wells that they provide instead of looking for these shallow seeker sensitive books and that's that's what our theology needs in our day is we need a deeper theology with great roots that are going to go down and that's what's going to cause us to endure as we're living in a postmodern secular age that's going to throw everything they've got at us. I mean, if we think that political elections are bad now, if we think that the way politicians are treated when they don't take the right view, we'll wait until they start doing it to us as Christians Mm -hmm. and on a more public stance, we better be ready for it. And that's going to require a robust commitment to the, the Bible and also a robust commitment to the deep and respected Orthodox theologians of our historic Christian faith. Yeah, and I just want to add to that that we've had 25 years of seeker-sensitive church. There are people in the pews that don't know their Bible. I say pews, seats. There are people present in our worship services that may not have a faith in Jesus Christ. They may just be culturally there. They might have gotten invited 25 years ago and someone was nice to them. They're nice to them and so they come socially, but they've never really entered into that discipleship relationship. And sometimes those are the people that well-meaning as they are, they're just not equipped. And even sometimes that the criticism doesn't even come from outside the church. It comes from within because there's a battle over what people want, the content shared. What's the point of the worship service? Sometimes there's a battle that people want the worship service to be about them and their experiences and their needs as opposed to giving God the glory and honor that he deserves for creating us and saving us. And so how do we, how does the pastor balance? He's got the outside world. Sometimes he's got, he's got a two front war on with his people as well. This may sound like a different kind of answer than most people are used to. The pastor needs to teach the fathers to be fathers in their home. Mm. You know, during the time of the reformation, the Catholic church was offering a daily mass and that was where the people would go regularly to receive quote word and sacrament in that idea. But what was so pivotal about the Protestant reformation is that we were pivotal in replacing the daily mass with the daily devotion in the home. 
wow. where we would teach them. And that's, I know that's something we don't always think about, but what pastors need to do to recover this is, is the pastor gets them for an hour or two a week. The parents are in the home and whatever term we want to use for it. And I'm just going to use this term called family worship. And it doesn't mean we worship the family, but it's an idea where we sit around and it is the role of the father to lead his family in the text of scripture. It's going to require families in their home going and reading the Bible together. And very practically, this could be something like dad sits down, his wife is there, however many kids or whichever, you open a study Bible and you read the text. And then you ask your kid, hey, what does your study note say? And then what are you doing in that process? Not only are you teaching them the Bible, but you're teaching them how to actually study the Bible so that when they're away from mom and dad, whether that's just midweek at school or whatever, they're actually learning how to approach the Bible as these are the words of life. Man does not live on bread alone, but every word which proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. And what that's going to do is it's going to return this idea that the preparation for Sunday is the fact that we've had a mini worship service every other day of the week. So it's not just the seeker-sensitive movement. It's the total disregard of the teaching of the Bible in the home, in the church, and in society. All of it has to be recovered. I love that because you're right. What could you hope to accomplish in a few hours a week? I mean, even if someone was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you're still, that's less than you spend in pottery class in high school. I mean, that's that's a very small commitment to your, uh, when, especially when you think about travel ball and other commitments. I mean, by, by comparison, we put a way smaller time commitment on church. I mean, for those listening, if you go to church once a month, I mean, what are you hoping to accomplish with that? We're out of time, but we'll pick up this conversation on our next episode. This has been Lose Yourself. For more information about Mike and his ministry, check out his blog at loseyourself.life. Until next time, make it your ambition to lose yourself to Christ. Lose Yourself is a ministry of Grace Church and Mike Cunningham and a production of Key Radio.